This is a LifeGate Church podcast. Tune in to hear from our team as we encourage you to discover the freedom and purpose that Jesus offers. If you want to find out more about who we are, visit lifegate.org.au. Hi, my name's Alex. And today I'm excited to share with you something from the book of Jonah, which I believe is going to encourage you as well as challenge you. You know what I realized the other day? Every day we make hundreds of decisions, maybe thousands of decisions. And the majority of those decisions is based on price. What I mean by that is we make decisions based on whether we're willing to pay the price associated with a particular choice. For example, have you ever decided that you're going to get fit? You know, you're going to finally get rid of that muffin top. You're going to get ripped. You're going to be able to walk down the street without needing a drink break and a nap. You're going to find that six-pack that's just hiding under all the fat. Well, that's a great goal to have. But are you willing to pay the price to reach that goal? Are you willing to pay the price of time, effort, motivation, hard work, commitment, healthy eating? If you're new to the whole exercise thing, then maybe even going for a jog requires you to pay the price of looking a little silly while you trip over your own feet and while you have to keep adjusting your shorts because of the chafing. And maybe you're sweating so profusely that it's dripping into your eyeballs and it's making you squint. Are you willing to pay all that price for what you know is good for you? A couple of years ago, I met a young lady a young lass, and I thought she was stunning, beautiful, funny, a little crazy, in a good way, of course. And so I decided to pay the price of dressing a little nicer, acting a little more mature, being a little more thoughtful, opening a few more doors, and being a little less selfish. And so because I paid the price back then, I eventually married Laura. And now we have a 10-month-old baby boy named Isaiah. We love him to bits, and we think he's just the cutest thing on the planet. But really, I'm just showing you these photos because research says that if I show you my family, you'll listen to me more. So now, as you turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Jonah, I want to ask you today, Are you willing to pay the price? To give you some context, Jonah was an Israelite. He was a man of God, a prophet. And and all that means is God used him to speak on his behalf. So let's start off in Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Verse 3. So Jonah, being a good and faithful prophet, obeyed the Lord and joyfully went to Nineveh. Oh, wait, that's, that's not what it says. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish, 
to flee from the Lord. Hang on a second. The man of God tried to run away? And instead of going to Nineveh, he fled for Tarshish? Where's Tarshish? It's all right, I've got you covered. Here's something I prepared earlier. Looking at this map here, you can see Joppa down in the lower right-hand side. And Jonah, instead of going to Nineveh, which was 890 kilometers northeast, decided to board a ship for Tarshish, which was 3,800 kilometers in the other direction. What was he thinking? Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. Now, for any of you who know me, I can totally relate to this. I can fall asleep anywhere. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew. Sorry. I am a Hebrew. And I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to make, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. Wow, that is not how I was expecting things to go. Knowing that Jonah was a prophet, a man of God, I was expecting the story to go something like, God asked Jonah to do something, Jonah willingly went and did that something. End of story, happily ever after. But if you've ever been called by God to do something, you'd know that it's not always that simple. Because God seems to be in a habit of calling us to do things that aren't that simple. And things that are a little bit difficult. And where, where the odds are against us. And he does that so that we can't take credit for his success. He does it so that it reminds us that we can't make it in our own strength or on the back of our own pride or our own efforts. It forces us to rely on his strength and his provision. So if you've ever felt guilty for not wanting to follow through on something God's called you to, then don't feel guilty. Don't be discouraged because... You're not the only one. 
In order to avoid God's calling, Jonah was willing to pay the price of discomfort. Because if you just think about it, the ships back in his day, which his time was around 750 to 700 BC, those ships would have been nothing like the ships we see today. There would have been no air conditioning, no private rooms, no beds, no all-you-can-eat buffet, no room service, no onboard movies. It would have been cold, damp, noisy. It would have been extremely uncomfortable. In order to avoid God's calling on his life, Jonah was willing to pay the price of giving up his safety because there would have been no life jackets on board that ship. And if he fell overboard, there would have been no helicopter rescue crew to come and search for him. And he was on board with a whole bunch of complete strangers. So they could have done anything they wanted to him. They could have beaten him up. They could have taken his possessions. And there would have been no authorities to protect him. In order to avoid God's calling, Jonah was willing to pay the price of a complete relocation of his life. He was willing to give up the house he lived in, the friends he had, the life he had. Let's take another look at the map. I read one commentary on the book of Jonah that mentioned that because Tarshish was on the edge of the huge North Atlantic Ocean, Many people in, in Jonah's day actually believed that Tarshish was at the end of the world. Jonah was willing to pay some extreme prices to avoid God. What prices are you paying to avoid God? What prices are you paying to run away from his calling on your life? If we continue to read from verse 17 we see that the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. For the sake of time, I'm going to summarize what happens next. So while he's being tossed around in the sea, engulfed by the waves, left for dead, Jonah cries out to God to save him. And God does. God saves Jonah by sending a huge fish to swallow him up. And so in the belly of the fish, Jonah prays to God. Jonah thanks God for saving him and vows to obey God once more. And then in Jonah chapter 2, verse 10, we see that then the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. You'll need to read the rest of Jonah in your own time. And when you do, you'll see that Jonah did end up going to Nineveh. He went to warn them of their impending doom. And because of this warning, the Ninevites listened to him and they humbled themselves before God. And so God decided to not destroy them. So because of Jonah's willingness to pay the price of following God, over 120,000 people living in Nineveh were saved. What God wanted to do through Jonah was so much greater than the price God was asking. Jonah to pay. Isn't it interesting that while Jonah was in the comfort of his normal routine, where he's waking up in the morning, he's going to work, he's doing the whole prophet thing, he comes home, has some dinner, he probably 
plays fetch with his pet donkey, and then he goes to bed to repeat the whole thing the next day. In the middle of this everyday routine, Jonah refused to listen to God. Yet, when he soon found himself tossed into a thundering storm, into a raging sea, sinking, drowning, when all hope was lost, that's when he stopped running and turned back to God. Jonah didn't want to pay the price of going to a foreign country to follow God's call, but ironically, in his running from God, he almost paid the price of death, a far more costly price. You'd think that while life was going smoothly and while everything was going swell, that he'd make wise decisions to follow God. Yet it took plunging into a violent ocean. It took sinking. It took drowning. It took certain death for Jonah to snap out of his unhealthy attitude toward God. In life, we're all going to have to go through storms. These storms of life might be sickness, financial hardship, relationship breakdowns, people betraying your trust, mental struggles. It could even be the loss of loved ones. But going through storms are part and parcel of living. As we see in Jonah's story, though, sometimes God needs to send a storm your way to get your attention back on him. So if it feels like you're in a storm right now, Ask God if he's trying to get your attention. If you're in a storm right now, ask yourself, have you been running from God? Ask yourself if you've been so distracted by the daily troubles of this world that maybe God has sent the storm to get your attention back on him. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that every single difficulty in life comes from God. I'm just asking you to consider whether maybe this storm that you're in is being used by God to turn your attention back on Him, to turn your reliance, your faith, your trust back on Him. If you're in a storm right now, are you going to keep trying to run from God? Or will you choose God's plan for your life? How far into the storm is it going to cost you before you decide to turn back to God for His guidance? How much damage to your relationships will you cause before you decide to follow God's prompting to fix your anger? How many arguments are you going to have with your spouse before you decide to love like Jesus showed us how to love? Where you listen to your spouse, where you give them love in the way that they need it according to their love language, where you're willing to, to lay down your pride and forgive them. And this is what God has been prompting me to do lately. He's been prompting me to work on my forgiveness. Now, in every relationship, you're going to have disagreements. But this is even more true in marriage because you spend more time with your spouse than anyone else. And now after living with Laura for a while, I've realized that I like certain things around the house to be done in particular ways. And I'm, I'm sure I'm not the only one. For example, I like our snacks to be put in the same spot in the pantry on the same shelf because if I'm starving one day and I really just need a handful of some healthy salt and vinegar chips, 
I want to be able to go to the pantry and get those chips. I don't want to be spending time hunting around trying to find them. I want, I want the chips now. Or there's my socks. I like my socks to be folded in a particular way. I like them to be flat and then folded in half and then stacked up neatly. The first time that I opened up Laura's sock drawer, it, it was a mess. There was just socks all over the place, mismatched, crunched up. It was just, yeah, it was crazy. So I, I just couldn't help myself. I took them all out. I folded them all up and I stacked them up neatly. But then there's also the front door. In our house that we live in, if the front door is locked, you need to turn the key one full turn in order to pull the key out. And I've informed Laura that that's the most efficient way we can do it. If, if you always turn the key one full turn, then you can easily take the key out and that's our most efficient use of time. Surely we all have little things that we like to be, like done around the house in particular ways, right? So we all go through storms in life. And recently for us, we hadn't been getting as much sleep as normal. And then Laura's gone back to work. And then Isaiah had a throat infection, which made him a bit more whingy. And then he's had teeth coming through, which meant that he was crying a lot more, sleeping a lot less. But I felt like we had been dealing with all those things pretty well. Until one day I was feeling a bit peckish. So I went to the pantry and the chips weren't in their usual spot. And then I went to get some socks and I found that Laura had not folded them the way that I like. It, it looked like she just got two socks, slapped them together, scrunched them up and thrown them in the drawer. And then I was stuck at the front door trying to pull the key out, but it wasn't coming out because Laura had only done half a turn. And that's when I lost it. I started telling Laura, you don't love me and you don't respect me because you keep moving the chips around. You don't fold my socks the way I like it and you only turn the key half a turn. And as I'm saying all these things, I'm realizing how ridiculous it is. And I'm wondering, how could I get so fired up over such trivial things? And then I realized what was happening. In those normal disagreements that every marriage has, we were resolving them, but I wasn't forgiving Laura after those incidents. And so even though I avoided paying the price of forgiveness back then, I was paying a much greater emotional price right now. But now that I've been working on this forgiveness and I've been working on forgiving more quickly and more frequently, I actually feel freer. I feel like emotional baggage has been lifted I feel more peace. It, it feels great. Who knew that listening to God could do so much good? So what is God speaking to you about? Are you listening for him? I'm going to go out on a limb here and say, I think there's a bit of Jonah in all of us. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, I'm not like Jonah at all. If all God asked me to do was Jonah's task of going to some country and saying a few words to them, I'd do it. That's easy. But let me just justify my statement by giving you some context. 
not only was Nineveh outside of Jonah's country of Israel, it was, the act, it was actually the capital city of the country Assyria. And now Assyria at the time was known throughout all the surrounding countries for being powerful, fierce, violent. When Assyria was invading other countries, they were known to burn people. They would cut off heads, they would cut off ears, they would cut off noses. Their violence and their power was so great that when they were going to invade other countries, countries would just freely surrender to them. But not only that, their brutality was so feared that some countries would send messengers to Assyria to surrender to them before Assyria had even approached to attack them. Now, given that Assyria was just off the northern border of Israel, it meant that it was an enemy to be feared who was right on Israel's doorstep. When I first found out all of this, I immediately had a bit more respect for Jonah because it's only natural to want something dangerous to be diminished. It's only natural for us to want our enemies to be defeated. It was only natural of Jonah to not want to warn his enemy of their impending destruction because he wanted them to be destroyed. It it makes sense. And not only that, imagine how scary, how dangerous, how seemingly stupid it would have seemed for Jonah to walk into this enemy country that is so powerful, so brutal, so violent, and walk in there alone and unarmed, and then to tell them, God's about to destroy you. So maybe God is prompting you to simply speak to someone, but like Jonah, maybe it's not that simple, and maybe it's not that easy, because God's in the habit of calling us to things that aren't that easy. But it's in those times that we realize that the strength we need is found in Jesus, and the strength we need is found, I just repeated myself, the strength we need is found in Jesus, but the peace also that we need is found in Jesus. So what is God speaking to you about? Are you listening for him? Is God asking you to forgive like he was asking me to forgive? If you're willing to pay the price of humbling yourself and forgiving, there's a whole lot of freedom and a whole lot of peace on the other side of your forgiveness. I can vouch for that. Maybe God's asking you to work on your character. If so, are you willing to pay the price of being honest, even if it makes you look bad? Are you willing to pay the price of doing things the right way, even if it means more work for you? Are you willing to stand up for what's right, for what's good, even if it's not the popular view? Is God asking you to truly live for him? You might say you'd die for Jesus, but are you living for him? Do you love Jesus with all your heart? And does that show in your thoughts, in your words, in your actions? Do you openly share the love and the joy and the freedom that comes from a life with Jesus? Or do people not even know that you follow Jesus because you're scared that they might think differently of you? Or maybe you're listening to this and you haven't yet committed your life to Jesus. 
Is he asking you to follow him today? Do you feel compelled to find out what all this Jesus hype is about? One of the ways God speaks to us is by compelling us, by urging our hearts in a particular direction. Are you willing to pay the price of giving Jesus a go? And when I say give him a go, I mean really give him a go. Because it's not like we just pray one little prayer, but then go back to living the way that we've always lived. Following Jesus is not like that. It, it will cost you your pride because in humility, you'll need to acknowledge that God knows what's best for your life, not you. Following Jesus means paying the price of changing your thoughts, changing your actions, changing your motives, changing your priorities, changing your lifestyle. So yes, there are seemingly a lot of costs to following Jesus, but if you consider the story of Lazarus, Lazarus was sick. His sisters, Mary and Martha, loved and followed Jesus. And when they asked Jesus to heal their brother, Lazarus, Jesus gave them something greater. Instead of a miracle of healing, Jesus gave them a miracle of raising Lazarus from the dead. When Jesus' disciples, his closest followers, were hoping he would conquer Rome by force and become an earthly king like all the other kings they'd seen, Jesus did something much greater. Instead of conquering just Rome, Jesus conquered sin, Jesus conquered death, and he became king over all creation, over everything, every living thing. So if you're willing to pay the price of following Jesus, he has something much greater for you. Are you willing to pay the price? Let me pray for you. Father, thank you that you paid the ultimate price for us. Thank you that you, you gave up your throne to come down as a lowly man, as a servant, to then die on a cross to save us from our own sin. Thank you that you paid that price that we couldn't pay. And Lord, we commit, we commit today that we are willing to pay the price to follow you. No matter, no matter what it costs, God, whoever we need to speak to, wherever we need to go, whatever we need to start doing or stop doing, Lord, we're willing to pay the price because you first paid the price for us. Thank you, God, for everything that you've done. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for joining us on the LifeGate Church Podcast. Our church is a place to discover the freedom and purpose that Jesus offers.